0: I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Bremer oh! versus Kremlin. Chicago. Chicago! West Side Salt. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King.
1: One over the cookie.
0: Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 21st, 1994 at the 66th Annual Academy Awards, at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, our favorite spot in downtown Los Angeles, where we are honoring the best films of 1993, with, for the very first time, host, Whoopi Goldberg. It is time now for the award we've all been waiting for. The envelope, please. And the
1: Oscar for the best picture of 1993 goes to schindler's list steven spielberg Gerald molin and branco Lustig producers welcome back to another episode of the envelope please everyone this is a podcast where we watch and discuss every best picture oscar winner in chronological order and we're your hosts we're back i'm sam i'm rance and we have an exciting ceremony this year rance tell us why this yeah. ceremony is so exciting
0: well, I mean, Whoopi, first of all. <laughs> that was um, what I was getting who at. Is, I, I mean, <laughs> Whoopi like, of all. <laughs> the Whoopi of all. Whoopi is who's, who's one of my favorite hosts um, who's ever done the show. Uh, someone who I, I do not understand why she's only hosted four times, because I feel like she should. she's someone they should have brought back by now, especially yes. the last few years when we haven't had a host. And she's already under contract at ABC. I don't... You it's know, maybe it's because heaven. she's considered political now, because she does The mm-hmm. View, but... I still think she could do it, you know. I suppose. Um, But regardless, uh, a lot of people tuned in to see Whoopi because this got 46.26 million people watching. That is a huge number and one of the highest rated ceremonies ever.
1: Yeah, that's enormous. That is a mega number for the Oscars, which... Which, crazy to think about, in the 90s, you know, that was very common. They were getting, you know, 30, 40 million viewers Mm -hmm. every single year. And now when you compare it to today, oh, Rance, it makes me sad. It kind of makes me sad.
0: Yeah, I mean, the ceremony this last year was like a fourth of that, you know. Um, So it is is rather upsetting. But, um, you know, I, I think the highest rated Oscars we've had in the last decade were when Ellen hosted in uh 2014, I think. That sounds right. Is that right. right? Um she got over 40 million. Um maybe even like 42, 43 uh somewhere in there. Um but uh we haven't had a ceremony that really created that same level of buzz. Um and there's a lot of things you can point to as to why that may be the case. Uh it, the movie's being nominated Seems to be a popular theory, like the movies are too um, uh, obscure, you know, the fact that television has come on and streaming television has come on so strong in the last decade to where, you know, not as many people watch um, live television as they used to, um, even though I believe uh, the awards are available streaming on some platform. Um, these days. It's just, um, I imagine they'll be streaming on like Disney Plus next year, right? That would um, make sense. That, would make, that sense. would make sense. I mean, but um, I don't know if they were this last year, but um, regardless, this is kind of a heyday as far as ceremony and ratings go. And um, there are some fun things that happen during the ceremony, too. Um, two of our favorites uh, get honorary awards. Yes. Um, and our uh, one of the best looking men of all time, and uh, one of the greatest humanitarians uh, of our acting community, Mr. Paul Newman, also famous for his own sauce, yes.
1: um, <laughs> it's like Ranch dressing, isn't it? It's some
0: kind of um... Newman's own. For years, you've seen Paul Newman undressing. Now you can see Paul Newman dressing. Burger King introduces Newman's Own all-natural salad dressings in six great recipes on four great salads. So come to Burger King
1: for a salad dressed better than the guy who created the dressing. I believe this it's like salad it.
0: dressing, right? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, he gets the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award this year, um, and finally, um, one of our favorite actresses of the '50s and '60s, Deborah Carr finally gets an honorary academy award it's just riding a wrong in my opinion from the many times she was passed over oh you
1: could not be more correct there's also a couple other fun like firsts in this ceremony too um i guess you should say more of a second we have our second female nominated for best director jane campion Mm -hmm. for um, the piano, who will probably be back for this year's I was about to Oscars say, too. This, she's getting great reviews for she is. the movie she has out this time around. I am here for it. Gene Campion doing a Western film, bring it on! Yeah, we have the second and Kirsten youngest, Dunst, isn't it? Which That's makes true. Kirsten excited. Dunst, yes. Yeah, we have the um. second youngest winner. Uh, for a competitive mm-hmm. acting trophy, this goes to Anna Paquin, who was 11 when she won for her supporting role in The Piano. One year behind Tana O'Neill, who still so reigns supreme
0: as a 10-year-old winning her Oscar. And, uh, and interestingly, also... she was up against she was up against the Best Actress winner in that supporting category. Yes, she um, was. who was her co-star in The Piano? Yes, um, Holly Hunter was nominated. Was this is one of those years where you have a both a supporting and a at a lead nomination, which I think we did last year, too. Didn't we have an actor? It's happened a couple um, times. Yes, yeah. but this is
1: the only time it happens twice in one year. Not only Holly Hunter, but Emma Thompson yep. is also double nominated for Actress and Supporting Actress. That is the she only is. time this has happened.
0: This is, um, you know, they basically dominated the category. Now, Emma Thompson does come out uh, empty-handed here. Uh, but, I mean, we we don't feel that bad for her because she did win an Oscar the year before. And she does have another Oscar in a completely different category to come. So, correct. She's
1: taken <laughs> care of. She is taken care of. So tell me, Rans. Let's get into some snubs here. Tell me about our our year in 1993. What are some movies that were left off
0: left off the nomination list that you would have liked to have seen here? Well, this is a this is a, a very I think competitive year. I think mm-hmm. that this is a year where there's a lot of really good movies that are um, released. And um, so a a lot of it may come down to taste. I don't know what I would take out of the Best Picture race, but I'll tell you one movie that I think is criminally underrepresented um, in these major categories is what I may consider to be Martin Scorsese's best film, and that is The Age of Innocence. Um, The Age of Innocence is one of the most gorgeous movies ever made. It has a color palette like you would not believe Um, And it, of course, has uh, just an ensemble of great performances from Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Wynonna Ryder uh, leading leading that cast. But um, while it isn't unrepresented, it is nominated for art direction, it wins costume design. um, It isn't nominated for Best Cinematography, which is super weird to me because it is a gorgeous movie. um, And I would have liked to have seen it represented there. Um, I also think that uh, it, You know, I don't know I don't know what goes out I don't know if we take out In the Name of the Father I don't know if we take out Shortcuts I don't know if we take out In the Pitcher Race, The Fugitive Which is a fun movie But (laughs) I don't know what it's doing In Best Picture, personally (laughs) We'll have Uh, words on that later (laughs) I, I think it's one of those box office movies That just snuck in um, it's a it's a good movie. I just don't know what it's doing in Best Picture. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. That's <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Um. Uh. Anyway. Um. I. I personally would have probably given it a picture nomination, a director nomination. I would have given a nomination to both Michelle Pfeiffer and Winona Ryder and actress supporting actress figure that out. I don't know. Um, Winona Ryder did get a nomination for supporting actress, excuse me, but, um, I would have given Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, one as well for best actress. Um, uh, probably take out Deborah ringer winger. Cause I'm just, you know, team Shirley McLean, And, um, <laughs> forever and always, forever and always. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, um, I hope I'm not stealing this from you, because I feel like this is this may be your snub. Mm, um, go for it. But, speaking of the best actor race, I think there's somebody who isn't here who should be here. Who is it? Robin Williams for Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello! That is one of my snubs.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> 100% lootely. Yes, he deserves to be here. Well, he is we fucking can... great in Mrs. Doubtfire.
0: Well, you can take over then. Go
1: ahead. Well, I'm just—I mean, we—we know here. We've said this to death. The Academy just, for some reason, is allergic to comedy. But what Mrs. Doubtfire is, yes, it is a family comedy film. But there is so much heart and depth and tragedy in this movie. This is essentially a film about divorce and what we do to get through it. What we have to create in ourselves to get through that huge obstacle. Robin Williams' character creates an entirely new identity, and that's what gets him through. So it's just a fun movie to fall in love with, and it's so rewatchable. It's, oh my God, the performances are great. Sally Field is great in this movie. They're all amazing, but Robin Williams clearly doing a double role. He's essentially doing a double role here, and I think that should have been nominated, hands down.
0: You know, and I also think there's an argument to be made that that Sally Field would be a perfectly acceptable best supporting actress nomination just for her reading of the line
1: the whole time the whole time you would
0: the whole time uh, <laughs> uh listen uh, you can throw sally field
1: into any race i am fine with that i would never deny well, this her is a the, nomination
0: this is the start this is two years this is the first of two years in a row in which there's an argument to put her in supporting mm-hmm. i'm just gonna go ahead and preview 1994 <laughs> for you um, she is a big part of a movie next year that, and she doesn't get nominated. You're
1: going to have to figure that out for yourself.
0: So, anyway. Um, but, you know, this is... I, I think it's one of those years that's so stacked that you're going to obviously have some oversights that just happen because of how stacked the year is. Um, you know, yeah, there's a I lot agree. of really significant movies that come out this year... Whether you're talking about you know every, uh, one of people's favorite rom-coms, Sleepless in Seattle comes out this year. Not one of my favorite rom-coms. I'm just mentioning it because I know people like the movie. Um, I think it's kind of creepy. I mean, like she stalks them halfway across. I mean, like I don't understand. But um, <laughs>
1: I mean, if you stop and think about it, <laughs> I know. But that did get love. That did get some. That vibe. is a you great a supporting
0: nomination. Great supporting performance from Rosie O'Donnell in that movie, though.
1: This is true. Um, this is true.
0: Um you know, I, yes. And it did get the screenplay on, didn't it? So It did. Well, listen, there's a couple others that I
1: would have liked to have seen here, too. Since uh-huh. you already shit on The Fugitive, maybe you don't agree with me here, but I would have liked to have seen Harrison Ford in Leading Actor. I think, apart from Witness, which is his only acting nomination... Well I don't I think dislike like Flawless fugitive. job in this movie. No, you said you hated no. it. You can't go
0: back. No, take no, no, no. no. I said it's a good movie. I just don't know what's <laughs> doing in the Best Picture race.
1: I don't care. I love
0: I think, the Fugitive. I love it. I it's think it would make more where... sense in Best Actor, honestly.
1: True, 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 true. The Fugitive is one of those movies where I can I'm watch just saying it from against any point the age and I'll of innocence
0: Against the Age of Innocence.
1: Okay, fair, 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 fair. Okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Like,
0: are you going to put the Age of Innocence or the Fugitive in the Best Picture race? That's what I'm asking. Probably the Fugitive. I mean, it's a fun movie. I completely understand. I'm just saying, The Age of Innocence is probably Martin Scorsese's best film, in my opinion. So, that's fair. Okay, how about this? I don't know.
1: See if you agree with me on these ones. Then there's a couple of movies in the screenplay categories I think Uh, missed out. Okay. Most notably, Groundhog Day. Where's the nomination for that?
0: Really? 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 Okay, I completely... Yes. (laughs)
1: We agree with that. And the second one that I think is missing in the original screenplay is Daisy Confused, an early Richard Linklater film, Mm. which has now gained such cult status. And the screenplay is so good. It's like the best kind of of coming-of-age, oh, sort of scattered movie that we saw in American Graffiti back in the 70s. Very similar vibe. I would have loved to have seen those in there.
0: You know, I also really like the political movie uh Dave and it's nominated mm-hmm. for screenplay but I would have liked to have seen it in some more places but again they don't do the comedies live on a different plane <laughs> apparently than <laughs> to the academy but um you know uh, there are a lot of things that I that I like about these nominations too mm-hmm. so maybe True. we should move to spotlights
1: please do so tell me what's what's one that you want to highlight here?
0: Um, well, there's a few things I could highlight. I, there's a couple things I just want to name check before I get to my spotlight. First of all, I just want to say I love seeing Stalker Channing nominated for Six Degrees of Separation. I, all hail. Worship, I worship the ground that Stalker Channing walks across, and she should have been nominated for Supporting Actress for Greece. <laughs> I don't you remember if I said that or beyond but... no we absolutely did
1: we okay absolutely all right
0: a hundred percent did yes <laughs> there's certainly worse things they could do now um stop it
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but I want to highlight something spotlight something that um I think in today's lens is perhaps a little controversial and I think mm-hmm. it's something that you and I are uniquely. Um, able to talk about. Okay. Okay, Yes. Um, I think it is incredibly important that Tom Hanks won Best Actor this year Mm -hmm. for this movie for this character. Tom Hanks plays a gay man dying of AIDS in Philadelphia. Now, in 1993, the AIDS epidemic began uh, in 1981. It was first um, called GERD. Which was, um, uh, oh, I forget what it's gay. um, Gay was the. Yeah, but it was basically saying this is a gay man's cancer.
1: Gay cancer, Um, yeah.
0: Gay cancer. And it first showed up, I think, in the New York Times, like in July 1981. And um, then it basically just was pummeling um, the homosexual community by the mid 1980s. But we were living in this culture that was becoming more conservative. Uh, church attendance was up. Reagan, Reagan was president and people just let men die basically. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people died. And it took years for Reagan to say the word AIDS. Um, And Bush didn't do much and it wasn't really until Clinton came in that anything was really happening at the federal level to Help combat the AIDS crisis and it wasn't until the uh, late 80s early 90s really early 90s that Some drugs started coming in that could help people survive longer with AIDS and it really wasn't until the 2000s that it stopped being a death sentence and so 1993 is this very precarious year um, when there are a whole bunch of HIV-positive men, a bunch of men living with AIDS, a bunch of people dying, a bunch of our people who are our age going to funerals all the time. And for a large part of this decade before representation of this issue had been few and far between. There had been a TV movie here or there. There had been a theatrical film, a couple of them, but nothing that was big budget. You know, there's a movie called long time companion. That's really good. That came out in 89 that deals with it. Um, There uh, was um, a few episodes of TV shows like uh, the golden girls and designing women that uh, dealt with AIDS directly but for the most part, this was something that was still being talked about in hushed Tones without a lot of actual knowledge of what, how you got HIV. People just thought like, oh, he's gay, he's going to have AIDS. Nowadays, if Philadelphia was given to Tom Hanks, I probably wouldn't be happy because Tom Hanks is a straight man playing a gay character. I think in 1993, having a movie star of Tom Hanks' stature play this character was important because it gave a humanization to people with aids gay people and it basically i view it as like a reaching across the aisle if you will and i think it's really easy to retroactively say like well that should have been a gay man and you know what it probably could have been authentically more authentically played by a gay man but where we were as a culture in 1993, I think it was important for this to be a really, really big movie star um, because I think it probably helped to change a lot of hearts um, in the situation that was happening at the time. So I just want to spotlight this. Um, this also gives birth on a much lighter note. Um, in Tom Hanks's speech, he thanks his gay, uh, <laughs> Acting teacher, acting teacher yeah. and kind of accidentally outs him I would not be standing here if it weren't for two very important men in my life so, two that I haven't spoken with in a while but I had the pleasure of just the other evening Mr. Raleigh Farnsworth, who was my high school drama teacher <laughs> who taught me that act well the part, there all the glory lies and one of my classmates under Mr. Farnsworth, Mr. John Gilkerson I mention their names because they are two of the finest gay Americans to wonderful men that I had the good fortune to be associated with, to fall under their inspiration at such a young age. I wish my babies could have the same sort of teacher, the same sort of friends. Which becomes the basis of a movie that will be a snub in a couple years called <laughs> in and out <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, Starring the one and only Joan Cusack and that's all that matters. Uh, Kevin Klein. Tom Selleck and Debbie <laughs> Reynolds are all in that film. I don't care. All uh, I see
1: is Joan Cusack. All I see is Joan Cusack.
0: <laughs> so I don't know if it's controversial to, to say this, but I think that in 1993, Tom Hanks is is the person who needed to have this part. And I think him, this movie being successful, him winning this Oscar, is, is probably a, kind of a watershed moment in this, in the crisis um, becoming something that hopefully at this point was getting more empathy from the American people. Although we were still years away from tackling that crisis. Although, I mean, like here we are and I feel so incredibly lucky in 2021, um, to be, uh, able to take a pill that helps prevent me from getting HIV. And I feel very lucky to read these stories about how there has been a man who is seemingly treated. Um, of HIV and there is also a vaccine in development. So, we are we are living in much different times 25 years later, but those times could not have been there had we not had these stories being told and spurring people to action in the early 90s.
1: No, you're absolutely right and I feel like Philadelphia wouldn't have even been made if they had mm-hmm. been trying to cast an out gay actor. Nope. It just wouldn't have been made. Nobody would, nobody would have given them money Well, to do who, that.
0: It, What out gay actor was there? Well, and that's the thing. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah. There was none of them. So that's what I'm saying is there really couldn't have been a gay actor playing this part. It just wouldn't have happened. You yeah. know what I mean? It couldn't have. We were have.
0: a much, much different culture at that point. Which, I mean, that as as depressing as things can be when you turn on the news, I, I have to say I am thankful that we as gay men live in a much safer world than we than we used to
1: well totally and also the fact that we need to acknowledge that tom hanks doesn't do an offensive portrayal of a nope. gay man in this movie at all like this nope. isn't al pacino in cruising you know what i mean this is well and that's a good done point with right, sympathy, right there you know that's
0: a good comparison think about cruising which was mm-hmm. what 11 12 years before I was, this it was
1: 77, 78 or something like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, been it's a while. not a long time before 1993. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tween older. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's saying something right there, you know, that the fact that we're getting a much better... Or Dressed to Kill, you know? True. Um, well, it just... It makes sense because, you know,
1: Tom Hanks is really considered to be America's everyman. So sure. to see America's everyman playing a gay character, that just gives so much exposure to a community that was in such pain. And so I agree yeah. with you. I think this is a very important, very monumental win.
0: Yeah. Somebody who in in some ways was, um, well, I guess he wasn't a modern-day Rock Hudson because he was never like a, you know. But he was a movie star, of the same level as rock Hudson kind of like was a jimmy stewart scene. we've kind of compared him to jimmy, jimmy stewart. stewart before yeah that's actually i was just trying to draw a comparison with a gay actor but you're right uh, oh, um, fair. yeah um yeah. i think like that's that's a really imagine if jimmy stewart had been um aids had been around when he was in his 30s and he made philadelphia mm-hmm. like that's the same impact
1: same caliber definitely yeah definitely um, couldn't agree more well, I would like to spotlight... You're going to be so happy. <laughs> I'm going to spotlight a movie you mentioned. I want to talk about Stockard Channing and Six Degrees of Separation.
0: Ah! <laughs> I only name-checked it, so I'm glad that I, I gave... You did. Uh... I... Okay, just before you yeah. say that, can we just real quickly... Yes. Stocker Channing... Okay, The West Wing is one of the best shows of all time. And <laughs> Stalker Channing had like some type of congrac- contractual deal where she only... Sh- She's in the opening credits, but only for the episodes that she appears in. And she's re- she's kind of recurring. She's usually in about half the episodes of a season. And so when I was binge-watching the show, I would literally, like, wait for the credits. And when she was- wasn't in the credits, I was- I'd was i be a little depressed. Because I wanted soccer-channing episodes so bad. Also, when she delivers the line, and anyone who's watched the show will know, we had a deal. That's one <laughs> of the best... <laughs> moments oh, it's of television perfect she's so perfect okay she's so up.
1: good in everything including this movie so if you haven't heard this film i'm guessing she's a also people... in a
0: very important gay movie as well um she's she in, is she plays the mom in the matthew shepherd uh television film um for which she won uh an emmy two emmys that year she won two emmys in one year one for supporting for west wing and one for lead actress in a miniseries for that
1: anyway absolutely she should be absolutely decorated for everything she does the so yes. sixth degree of separation is about a rich upper-class couple who are played by stockard channing and donald sutherland and they take in a college student who claims to be friends with their kids who are at harvard his name is paul played by a young will smith what a fun like role for him in his very early in his career this is when he's doing this is when he's doing fresh prince mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah uh, so during their evening together, the couple become, like, dazzled by everything Paul is telling them. He's very artistic, um, sort of, I guess we would say, very woke nowadays. Yeah. Um, and he also tells them that he happens to be Sydney Poitier's son. So they're completely gobsmacked by this. But in the morning, they discover him sleeping with another man, so they kick him out, yada, yada. While they're recounting this story to some of their other rich friends, they become a little confused because their friends then say, Oh, we had a similar experience. So it's kind of brought to the surface that Paul is sort of conning all of these rich, upper-class people in this neighborhood. Uh, So the couples then vow to search for Paul just to get to the bottom of the truth and who he really is. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a great movie. It's a very faithful adaptation of the play of the same name. In fact, it was penned by the original playwright as well, John Gare. Uh, And it's a movie that completely, I think, sneaks up on you. It really plays like a comedy of manners for much of the runtime until about the final 20 or so minutes and i think it's in these final minutes where we actually see stockard channing really start to shine she's really fun throughout the whole movie but it's this final closing monologue that she has at a dinner table at a dinner party that just blew my mind away so she's recounting the story over and over and over again and then she kind of stops herself because she realizes she doesn't want This experience with Paul to just become some anecdote that's been recycled party after party. Because her encounter with him, though it was based in lies, it was still incredibly impactful, right? And so she starts to wonder out loud at this dinner party. She's wondering how someone is supposed to hold on to experiences like that and keep them fresh in your brain. How do we keep
0: what happens to us? How do we fit it into life without turning it into an anecdote? no teeth and a punchline you'll mount over and over years to come. Oh, that reminds me of the time that impostor came into our lives. Oh, tell the one about that boy and we become these human jukeboxes spilling out these anecdotes, but it was an experience. How do we keep the experience?
1: Um and it's the, the first time in her life where I think she actually felt something. And it's in that moment that she realizes that she is not in love with her husband anymore because he doesn't understand her, and she does not belong with these high society folk because she no longer relates to them. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was what Paul's ultimate mission was. To kind of stir up a little bit of trouble with these upper class people and to get them feeling something real for once, to kind of connect with people who are below them in class. and experience things for the first time so I I was blown away I only watched this movie, I watched it like a week ago and I loved every second of it it was flawless, I highly, highly recommend it and she's beautiful in it I think she's funny, she's really, really funny in this movie, but it's yeah. that final closing monologue that I'm just like go off Oscar, 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 <laughs> I loved it I loved it, and she uh, also originated on Broadway too, so I love when they bring the Broadway performers and give them the screen adaptation too
0: well yeah she's such a she's such a um she's she's just (laughs) such an underrated part of our 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 history she is she's she's
1: never bad she's literally never bad i just she's always top of
0: her game i don't know there's just something she has such a unique um vibe i i i love her
1: me too Okay, Um, let's get into the real business. Let's talk about our main event here, Schindler's List. Okay, so let's talk about some Holocaust topics here, Rance. Yeah. Schindler's List, if you don't know what this book or movie is, it is the story of Oskar Schindler, who is a Nazi Party member from Czechoslovakia, who during World War II, he was able to save thousands of Jewish people by employing them to work at his factory, and thus they avoided being sent to concentration camps. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said this was your first time watching it, right?
0: It was
1: um, oh boy. All right, so I just want to hear kind of your yeah. gut reaction when you finished the movie. Kind of, how did it all sit with you? How did you take it in?
0: I mean, it's it's such a tough movie to watch, and not in a it's not good. And it, it's um it's it's so good at what it's doing that um. You know, it's it's just it's just uh, almost like this divine hand is guiding it. If that makes any sense to where um, everybody involved is is working at the top of their game to create something that feels almost too real um, the whole time. Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg talked about how he made it in a uh, documentary style, which is why it's in black and white, you know, that rip from the headlines look about it. Most of it's in black and white. There are uh, some exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they there is something so stark about that, about that contrast to where, when you're seeing them clean out ghettos and you're seeing them, um, you know, round up um, naked um, exposed uh, malnourished people um, that it's, it's just like, um how could this have been real how could mm-hmm. this have happened and how can there be people who deny this reality on top of that um i feel like this movie maybe gains more and more relevance as it gets older and we we see that we're not as far from this bastardized um way of thinking as we probably thought we were um, and uh, yeah it it just the gut reaction here is that it is um, truly an outstanding film and I didn't mention this in Snobs, but I'm really confused as to why uh, Ben Kingsley isn't here no I agree <laughs> with you actually no that's actually kind of a good segue to another question I wanted to ask you is
1: do you think this film was I mean I think it got what 12 nominations yeah but do you think it's a little underrepresented
0: <laughs> I mean, like, I think you could have nominated anybody. Everybody is is operating full force in this movie. Yeah, um, this is without a doubt. I mean, Liam Neeson was kind of chosen because he wasn't a name um, at the time. Uh, this really catapulted him. But I think if if you just know Liam Neeson for his action movies and whatnot, you need to you need to watch this. Um, yeah, he I does also, great work in this movie. I thought it was really interesting that, you know, Ray Fiennes and him kind of look similar. Did you mm. think this as you were watching? Yes. Um, so almost like they're two sides of the same coin? Well, yeah, good and evil, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, or yin and yang. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting, because they kind of have a very similar nose and profile. Um, I mean... It just I, I, it's 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 unquantifiable. It's um I, I I don't know. you say things and I'll say more things.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what do you think of the choice to film it in black and white? do you do you like that style of it? Do you think it really added to the message of the movie?
0: Yeah, I think there's a real depth to the film because it's in black and white. I think you know I read that the um that there was a feeling that putting in color would would date it. Um, and I think that's I, I think that's a very smart observation because our color palette of what's seen as appealing does seem to change from decade to decade, and you very much when a movie is in color, you can tell the difference between the '70s and the '80s and the '90s um, just by even if the film stock is technically the same quality. You know, even if they're all thirty-five millimeter and they're all you know the same resolution, there's there's a difference because you tastes change, and even if something's a period movie, the way that we the way that we choose colors changes. But by putting it in black and white, you you don't you strip it of any of any any way that the nineties could have put its way into the movie, and you just make it about. The the story and the stark, uh, black and white. I, I think you know like this is good and evil, black and white. This is a, um, yeah. It, it works as an allegory as well.
1: Exactly, and because I think what you're touching on there is that, <laughs> as you said before, you know there are those who deny this even happened in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And I think by putting this movie in black and white, he's literally saying, no, here it is. In black and white it's as simple as I can show you this is what happened you know take because I also think you know color kind of sparks emotion in people right bright colors we're happy darker more muted colors we're sad but if you just believe it in black and white you're taking that first line of emotion out of it so you you're forced to look at the faces you're forced to look at the bodies you're forced to actually look at what's going on it's objective absolutely so yeah, yeah. I think you're right you're looking at horror impactful. objectively you absolutely are. And I also think what Spielberg does well with that is, as you mentioned, it's not always in black and white. He chooses when to use color very effectively, bookending the film, but also with the little girl in red.
0: So tell me about, tell me what you thought of the little girl in red. Well, I mean, that's that's such a, that's an important character piece uh, for Schindler <laughs> because, um, he he notes he clocks the girl mm-hmm. ah. when she's getting clear from the ghetto, and then it's the moment his real you know he has a gradual you know uh shift Yes, but um but his real turn is when he sees her dead body mm. you know and so I, I thought it was a really interesting choice, and I think it's interesting in the fact um it, it calls to how. When we, as people, just go about our everyday lives, occasionally there's something like that, like a red jacket, like, um, like uh, you know, somebody's wearing a certain pattern or something like that, that does call our eyes and our attention. And, you know, there's been times that I don't know who a person is, but because I noticed their coat, you know, I'll notice them again, like a week or two later, like, oh, there's that person with that coat that I noticed, you know. And I like how it uses that um, that very human uh, quality of observation um, as uh, as something emotionally impactful.
1: Absolutely, and it's just it's heartbreaking that you know as as we see her for the first time as they're clearing and you know making way for the ghetto. Well, what they're doing is aren't they killing one half of it, right? And then they're bringing the other half to the concentration camp, and it's this so wild that there's all of this mayhem. And violence and killing going on, yet underneath that all, almost like literally underneath, like below eye level, no one is seeing, nor paying attention, nor really giving a damn what this little girl is doing. It's it's, it's, it's crazy to me that I guess that, you know, you're, you're she's walking by five people getting shot in the head, and then she just walks by, you know, and it's sad to think that this is this little girl's reality now. You know, this is what she's going to know forever.
0: Yeah, and she'll you never... Know? I mean, you think about... um. You know, you think about, like, uh, uh, Audrey Hepburn, who grew up uh, during the Holocaust, and... Um, uh, I forget the specifics of her story, but she... Mm-hmm. Um, she... She didn't live in hiding, because she wasn't... I think... Did she help people hide? There was something like there's that. She like. grew up yeah, she grew up in Europe during the Holocaust and and it very much affected her and uh for the rest of her life um she had there's debates about the specifics of this but she did have uh eating issues, mm-hmm. nourishment issues. 100%. Um um and apparently a lot of that had to do with guilt. And you know, I think that I think there is probably, I mean, you you see all those people at the end of the film. You know, you got to wonder what they felt every day for the rest of their lives. You know, you got to totally. wonder, you got to wonder what Schindler felt. I mean, he saved these people, but he he wanted to save more. And what if he had chosen these people instead of those people? I mean, like there is these choices yeah. that you have to make in these dire situations, similar to Sophie's choice. Where you there is no there is no total win because the heroes can't save everybody and uh, so it's it's more than a movie um, it it's really hard to even talk about Schindler's List as a movie because the story is so important it's something that everybody should see
1: and real um, like real it's real. You know, and that's it's what's reality. Even more effective too. Like, not only is this about a war that actually happened, um, but it's actually about you know these these are real characters. We're not just like you know fantasizing characters to put into a Holocaust setting. Like, we are talking about real people here, yeah. um, and some of them are terrifying. So, I want to talk to you a bit more about Ray Fiennes in this movie yeah. um, as Amun. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Something like that. But he's basically the second lieutenant who comes in to take over um, the ghetto here in Krakow. And he is just pure evil. I think he is pure evil incarnate. This is a man who wakes up, grabs his gun, and just does target practice on the Jews in the ghetto. Absolutely horrifying. While his girl in bed... Kind of lays by and's like, oh, it's just aiming, being aiming, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's insane to me that these people existed.
0: Yeah. They literally. I mean, you
1: have to, like, get behind the psychology of this character who legitimately thought that killing all these people was for the greater good of the world. Right? Well,
0: you, I. I <laughs> like mean, that is you a know, jumping off point. <laughs> I can't even imagine what, what it would be like to have to play that character. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, Steven Spielberg talks about how um, how this how depressing the set was to be on. You know, he um, Universal had him direct Jurassic Park first, a movie we haven't mentioned yet, but that did come out in nineteen ninety three. Also, another, we haven't talked about it yet. <laughs> also, uh, also, a great nineteen ninety three film. Also great, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if I'm putting it in any of the major categories, but I do love Jurassic Park. I think it's a great film. Absolutely. Um, But uh, because they knew after he directed Schindler's List, he would not be able to do um, Jurassic Park. And it's interesting to think about this because um, there is a definite decline in Steven Spielberg popcorn movies after Schindler's List. He does a lot more movies that are quote-unquote important stories. And I know. should say to
1: all of his popcorn movies since then, like I'll just bring up War of the Worlds, for example. Mm. Not as good. Not as good as his earlier popcorn movies. Well the sequel flex.
0: to the sequel to Jurassic Park, The Lost World, is and the sequel, too. near as good. No, absolutely, as you Jurassic know, so Park. I think
1: you're right. I think maybe he his art
0: isn't as in that anymore. No,
1: a hundred percent it isn't. I mean this movie, he even talks about this in that great HBO documentary where this was his grown up project. He finally felt like he grew up. Well, you he know, and all of the that rights. stuff is behind him.
0: He had Universal buy, buy the rights in 1983 when the book was released. Schindler, Schindler's Ark is the name of the book. And he did not produce the movie for 10 years because he didn't think he was ready. And he wanted the right script, and it did go through several different... Um, and he tried to pawn the project off onto other directors because he didn't think he right. could handle it. And they're um, like, he... Uh, 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 Martin Scorsese um, was somebody who was talked about. He ended up giving him Cape Fear instead. Right. Um, and uh, apparently Roman Polanski wanted to make it, which thank God he didn't do that. Um, and uh, uh, Billy Wilder was interested in making the film. Apparently Billy Wilder sent Steven Spielberg a note after he saw the movie that just told him it was you know one of the best movies he had ever Oh my scene. god. Well that's amazing. Yep. Can you imagine if Bill oh, Wilder can't. That's like being blessed by um the stars. So I want to ask you then, what
1: is for you sort of I don't want to say favorite scene because this is all just horrific to watch, but what is like the scene that's going to stay with you? What is the one that really impacted you the most?
0: I really like the scene um where all the women are taken into... Or all the people, I should say, are taken into the um, what they think is going to be a gas chamber, and it's a shower. Mm. Mm. That, that is exactly what I wanted to talk about, actually. Yeah.
1: That, for me, I think, is probably Steven Spielberg's most like, suspenseful scene yeah. ever crafted. Because you don't want to watch. You know what it could be, and you don't want to watch you know. that. And But here's what I want to talk about, too. When they arrive... At Auschwitz, which first of all, it should never have happened. Like they were supposed to go to Oskar Schindler and they get yes. rerouted to literally Auschwitz. Yes. Horrifying. But I don't know what Spielberg did differently here, but all of the scenes shot at Auschwitz, there's only a little portion of it there. Mm-hmm. It's breathtaking. It is stunning and beautiful. And I think that is just In like such the most. Yes, but, right. like, that's such a cruel yeah. tinge of genius there because yeah. the snow is falling, the black and white photography. It's just – it is shot so beautiful and lit so beautifully that you can't imagine this place produces the horrors that it does, right? No. But you're absolutely correct. Ugh. And when they get off and they're escorted straight to the showers because this was set up for us way earlier in the film where these um, – the people are, uh, who work for Schindler are in like their barracks and they're just kind of talking about what other Jewish people have been relaying to them. These stories yeah. of people being taken to showers thinking they're going to get clean and then they get gassed and they die. And they're all saying, they even say this too, they're like, oh, that would never happen. They need us. You know, the Germans need us to work. They would never kill us. And then, of course, here we have it now. And we're thinking in our heads, this is going to happen. This is the end and when it's just then, showers the amount of relief that comes across you is it's just,
0: ridiculous it's just insane it's just insane i it's mean insane. they did um yeah it, it's that's that's a beautiful beautiful moment the film um it's great and i think
1: you know all of these years of spielberg creating these more popcorn suspenseful movies prepared him for this because you know here we have a World War II drama, and we have what I think is pure suspense in it. You wouldn't you wouldn't really suspect that, you know, or expect that when you're watching no. a movie like this, to literally have your heart start pounding because you think these people are going to get gassed. You know? It's... Yeah. That, is, that is pure Spielberg to me, and only he could do that. I think that's
0: his gift, you know, his gift for cinema. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, like, you know, there's lots of great Spielberg films. There's... Um... Okay, good, good. Hold on, hold on. Hold your tongue, because that's my next question, is... Do you think this is Spielberg's best movie? It is so hard to quantify that because <laughs> because I I don't I don't know how to compare this to Jaws or um, E. T. or Raiders of the Lost Ark. I would say my favorite Spielberg film is probably Raiders, but this is without question the most important movie mm. he has made. I agree. And it probably is the best movie that he has made. Is um, it?
1: Is it? We're going to talk about this in a couple years, but I just want to—I just want to know your answer. <laughs> is this Spielberg's best World War II
0: movie? Um. Again, they're different. They're <laughs> they different. are different. Yes, they are. Um, but I think that this story—I I just don't think there is anything more important than this story mm-hmm.
1: and it's a story that matters right you're absolutely correct i think story and, and first, i'm talking foremost.
0: about beyond i this is beyond cinema quality this is beyond cinematic this is something that that exists on its own plane um and you can't it's it, it it i i don't know how to rank it because because it is so unique in its placement yeah, it's
1: like pure history, you know, that, that old saying of um, history is doomed to repeat itself if we forget about it, oh, God. you know, and I think this movie is such an important marker because if we keep showing this and we keep, people keep seeing it, it's less likely that something like this will happen again, hopefully. you know, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so what is it then you think that propelled Schindler's List to win Best Picture? What are all the factors that went into this, you think?
0: I mean, I just don't see how anything else could have won. I I mean, like, I think it's one of the... This is a slam dunk year. Slam dunk. This is... But also, um,
1: as we mentioned before, it's a slam dunk year for Steven Spielberg in general. I mean, he had two of the biggest movies of the year. This and Jurassic Park. for sure. He had the
0: biggest box office hit of 1993, I believe. Jurassic Park's the biggest box Mm -hmm. office hit of 1993. And Schindler's
1: List was not Um, far behind.
0: No, it did very, very well. It It did. um actually did better internationally than it did in the states even um uh it was very widely seen across europe obviously um but uh you know i i just i think this is one of those years where i i feel like probably going into the ceremony everybody knew who was gonna win you know and I think they
1: are all rooting um, for Spielberg,
0: too, right? He's
1: been denied this Oscar for so many true. years. It's true. And this like, is it's an overdue to story, too. Yes. And this isn't like, you know, his um, first, quote-unquote, big boy movie. You know what I mean? Important no. film. But I think this is one that's closest to his mm-hmm. heart. And yeah. really a story for him to tell. Spielberg being a Jewish American, I think it's very important that his perspective is of the same background. And I think that's what shines through here. He knew how to do
0: this. But honestly, if Raiders had won, if Color Purple had won, this movie should still win. This isn't even... The yes. thing that I like about this is this isn't um, an Oscar where you're saying, well, he got it because he's been making good movies for 20 years and it's about time he got uh, got one. Mm-hmm. Um, he he won for what legitimately was his best film up to that point, at least, you know. I know it's wild to me. Cause,
1: exactly because you know we've. I mean, we've talked about Spielberg a lot in this podcast, and a lot of movies that we love, 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 and keep with us forever. But it's almost like the Academy knew <laughs> that, like, that's there's not your best yet. It's not. There's something great. in him. There's something yeah. else. So we're gonna wait because I think there's still something in you that hasn't been filmed yet. And then
0: yeah. ta-da!
1: And then bam, he comes out with this. Income Schindler's List, yeah. Yep. Uh, I agree. So, okay, so, okay. Is this for you, Rents? Your yep. Best Picture Winner of yep. 93? It is. Yes, okay. yes. All right, you. then let's let's hear your runner-up. It's also my Best Picture Winner, yes. Okay. What is your runner-up? The unnominated Age of Innocence. <laughs> <laughs> I love that,
0: I love that. Okay, can you yes. guess my runner-up? I'm gonna say the Fugitive. You're gonna. You're just like. <laughs> you've been previewing this the whole time. Um,
1: ah, I love that you picked that. It's not my runner-up, actually. Okay. Let my runner-up is the piano.
0: Oh, yeah, something we haven't really discussed, but another great film.
1: Yes. Great movie. I love that one too. Another bleak film too. This was a really Holly bleak Hunter. Year. It's flawless in that movie. Yeah. Um, love that. Okay, so we both, we're, we both agree. I feel this is kind of a very easy year to discuss, best picture-wise. This is far gone in a way. It was all but sealed up with a bow for Spielberg by the time he arrives at the ceremony.
0: Now, next year. Next year. I think that there is a movie hmm. um, that uh, that a lot of people really, really like. That I really, really like um, That I imagine You really, really like
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. um, That uh, Is um, Not the movie That wins
1: Best Picture mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, And I think it's it, I think this is one of those years Where we have a two-way race and the epic kind of sweeps and the discussion going to be whether or not the epic or the movie that for a long time was the number one film on IMDb correct um, correct is, is the better is the better movie
1: and there's also a third one in there which is considered to be one of the best independent films of all time and one of the greatest screenplays of all time so next year is a very high-button year. So the Best Picture winner of 94, Forrest Gump. We are going to be talking about that next week. And a couple of the other nominated films, which let's just say I'm right now. Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction. This is yeah. a big year
0: for movies. Also, I, I mean, come yeah. on. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Quiz Show. It. This is a great year. This, this is great a great, year. Great year. Yeah.
1: year. So join us next week, guys. We will talk about 94 and Forrest Gump.